important announcement to start off with. Uh-oh. Um, which is that Britney Spears' fiance is younger than me. That's oh, <laughs> that's a pretty big age gap. I mean, it's not unheard of. No. I also think I am just having kind of like an age crisis right now. Oh, yeah. Because I was thinking about it today. I was like, he's younger than me. Like, he was born in 1994. I was born in 1993. So it's not even like that no, much. No, it isn't that it's much. It's not that much. We're like a couple months apart. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But in my mind, it's so weird because, like, he's a personal trainer. So he's like a big adult. And, like, you know, fit and guy. Like, very fit. Yeah, and, like, yeah, yeah. I was like, I was thinking about it today. I was like, am I, like, behind for a 29 year old? Like, I don't know. I just had this weird, I don't know. No, I'm 28. Yeah, he just turned 28, and I am already 28. (laughs) I was like, wait, I don't know how old you are. You keep doing this to me. (laughs) You know what? I had a very similar experience when I realized recently that um, Jackie Kennedy was younger than me when she became the first lady. (gasps) No. And I'm like, motherfucker. (laughs) (laughs) What have I been doing? That's the exact appropriate response. (laughs) It's just weird because you always think of yourself as younger than. Right. You know, like, especially like I was saying, like, I'm the baby of the family. So I'm like, yeah, I'm the baby. I'm the youngest. I'm always the youngest in the room. Mm -hmm. And I'm not anymore. (laughs) Right. (laughs) I mean, we discussed last week at dinner that Caroline and I are having our 13 going on 30 birthday next year. Caroline's turning 13 in March and I'll be turning 30 in October. Right. And you know what's funny? My dad said that it happened to him the first time he had a doctor come into the room that was younger than him. Ooh. And like it was a while back, but it was just like, oh. Haven't had that happen yet. That would be. Yeah. Yeah. I've had like interns, like doctor interns come in, but never like, I don't know. It is interesting. The age thing when you don't compare yourself to other people. That's my thing. Don't compare yourself to Britney Spears' fiance. (laughs) (laughs) We all can't be that. We can't be Sam Ashkari. (laughs) Only him and Kevin Federline can be that. (laughs) Oh my God. Okay. Well, we're not here to talk about Britney Spears yet. Not today. (laughs) Not today. It's coming. Uh, But we're here to talk about her story. On the with Katie and Allie. This is a podcast where we talk about famous women in history. We talk about good women, bad women, fictional women, and non-fictional women from all times and places because women have nuance. But keep in mind, we're drinking the entire time. And we are not historians, <laughs> Googlers, Wikipedia-ers, YouTube watchers. Oh, I was a big YouTube watcher this week. <laughs> documentary obsessed. Mm-hmm. But not historians. No, absolutely not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but we will take you on a ride today the way it's gonna work is Allie's gonna tell a story about a famous woman and tell serve me a cocktail and then I'm gonna tell a story about a famous woman and serve her a cocktail and by the end it'll be bananas oh yeah and the fun thing about this season is we don't know who each other's doing so we're really excited to get into it but before we get started you're busy you are Googling Sam Ashgari. You're like, what's going on with him? <laughs> Is he scamming Britney? Are they in love? I think so. They've been together for a couple of years. The big ring. You're sleuthing. Nice ring. You're sleuthing on your own, and I appreciate that. So let me know what you find out. But you're too busy doing that. So your Google's all filled up, and you can't stop and Google what these women look <laughs> like. So in order to get a picture in your mind while we're telling their story, we're going to get a little physical, physical. Allie, who, no, what does your person look like? <laughs> Sorry, it's mystery date season, and uh, I'm going to try and guess. Okay. <laughs> um, I don't think you're going to guess this person's name, but Ooh. I think you can guess, like, the genre or what's going on. Okay. So, 
This woman was 5'2 with brown eyes and dark hair and high cheekbones. She was 43 years old at the time of her death and living in relative poverty. She dressed of the times as a poor Victorian woman, but is most often viewed in a photograph of her dead body with slashes across her. <gasps> Wait, hold on. No. No, I was thinking Black Dahlia, but you're not doing mm-hmm. her. That was not Victorian. Slashes all over her? Is she a Jack the Ripper victim? Yes. <laughs> I am doing the... I was like, I know I can figure this out. I'm doing the first Jack the Ripper victim, Polly Nichols. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I'm so excited. Yeah, this is going to be interesting because I started the week really ambitious, and I was like, I'm going to do all five. <sighs> and then I was like, what is wrong with me? <laughs> well, it's also important that you had that realization because up until like kind of recently, like people were like, oh, they're all prostitutes, like yeah. all sex workers, like we don't care about them. Right. And then they were like, we wait, we can research these women. <laughs> there are more sources on them. Like, what the hell? Yeah, like let's figure out <laughs> they who mattered. They <laughs> okay. So my person is a Greek goddess so she can usually be seen with long flowing hair and a long flowing toga-like dress she's typically carrying flowers or vegetables but when she's in her other home in the underworld she is sometimes depicted in dark clothing with a black crown upon her head and in the musical hades town she's played by the amazing amber gray and she wears a green dress with black stockings and green flowers in her hair yes it's persephone i love her i love Persephone. Me too. It was super fun. So I can't wait to get into this. I what a think, dark week. What a dark week. <laughs> with very fun, like, because I'm doing like a spring cocktail. Yeah. So there'll be very floral, beautiful cocktails for. We've got a nice little cocktail going. Yes. Um. So are you ready to get into it? I am. Do you want to know what you're drinking? <laughs> I do. So my cocktail is called Polly the First. Mm. And it is an ounce and a half of Jack Daniels <laughs> and then an ounce and a half of white cranberry juice okay. to balance it out. Mm-hmm. And then you put m- over ice, you put four mint leaves in and then one raspberry, which is very specific because he has five known victims like okay. that we're for sure about. Okay. Perfect. So four mint leaves, one raspberry. Cheers. Cheers. Oh, yeah. Fill to the brim. Mm-hmm. <sighs> That's really nice. Yeah. And I usually hate whiskey. Yeah. Yeah. I was a little nervous that it would be like really tough, but it's really soft on the palate. It's nice. I think, um, I think just cranberry juice and, and Jack Daniels are both so hard on each other. that They like are like canceling each other out almost. Yeah. It's nice. I like it. I really like that. Mm, that's delicious. Yeah. Okay. Um, what do you know <laughs> about Polly Nichols? I don't know anything because I feel like anything. I mean, I know she was killed, murdered by Jack the Ripper. Um, I know that they d- still don't quite know who Jack the Ripper is. Um, I know that one of H.H. Uh, H. Holmes's like great great grandsons is like convinced it was him. It's totally fucking not. He was like in jail when those murders yeah, were going on. It's not ridiculous. at all accurate. Not at all accurate. No, but there are always like theories about who it could be, right. um, which is unfortunate because then because I think because we don't have a name for him, the women especially get lost in this story. Um, so yeah, I know that there's been a lot of misconceptions about his victims that they were just kind of like nameless family-less sex workers um but we know now that that's not true so i'm really excited to get some more 
nuance into this woman's story. <laughs> yeah, I'm so excited to talk about it. And I do want to say uh, up front, like obviously the word prostitute is used a lot in this story. Mm-hmm. Definitely sex worker is the appropriate term, but there's just like a lot of sources that say otherwise. Right. And also that me attempting to prove that many of these women were not sex workers does not mean that there's anything wrong with sex work. Oh, yeah. It's mm-hmm. just telling a woman's story that's actually true instead of what has been put upon her by the public right so uh, my sources are first the book the five by Haley rubenhold is amazing and she's the same one who did the podcast bad women mm. now she gets attacked on social media really? and on everything by quote ripperologists oh, who like are the Fuck people them. yeah they're not historians but they like spend their life like following and trying to figure out who jack jack the ripper was Haley Rubenhold is a Victorian sex worker historian. Mm-hmm. That's what she does for a living. So, like, she's the actual know-how, and people are upset about it. Yeah. Which is frustrating. And then there's another man, Neil Sheldon, who writes things similar to Haley Rubenhold, who deleted all of his social media accounts <gasps> because he just can't handle the ripperologists. Yeah. They're well, such bullies. They are... Like a savage group of people. Yeah. Like they, they won't let anybody know mm-hmm. because it's one of those things like it's, it is very easy to be an armchair expert about something like this when like you are so dead set on your theory and you're like, they tested the DNA on yeah. the cloak that so-and-so was wearing. She wasn't fucking wearing a cloak. Yeah. It wasn't even <laughs> in the police report that I'm looking at. Right. Like, it's yeah. so annoying. I'm there's sure just no room for actual experts in that world. And there's also no room for especially female experts in that world, it seems. Oh, to yeah. Me. Like real historians don't touch it with a nine foot pole yeah. because they don't want to be a part of it. No. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So this case is considered like the coldest of cold cases. Yeah. Like it is so fascinating to people we regularly refer to it as the jack the ripper killings but in the time it was called the Whitechapel murders there is disagreement as to how many women this serial killer actually murdered um how many were copycats how many were like group killings and history technically attributes five to the pen name jack the ripper People are absolutely obsessed with this. I, too, love a good Jack the Ripper documentary. I'm obsessed with things like that, true Mm -hmm. crime. Um, But the thing is, you have to be really careful about what you watch because zero of their findings are true or based on a lot of facts. Okay. So it's like a lot of these documentaries are exciting, but you're being lied to in a big portion of them. The number one thing, though... That we know about Jack the Ripper is that the women that he killed were considered prostitutes at the time. Uh, Here's the original story. It's a hot summer night in London's East End shitty-ass neighborhood. There are drugs, there's alcohol, there's crime. There's women out on the streets, they're selling sex. She goes into a side street with her recent John... She gets stabbed, and he vanishes. Over the next month or so, four more happen, and then several copycats. The wounds becoming more intense with each murder. 
suspects are pursued and then dropped, and a taunting letter is sent to the press by, quote, Jack the Ripper, and terror is born. That's what most people know yeah. about Jack the Ripper. Here's what's real. Um, if you dig into the records, not a lot of this exists. Uh, a lot of records were destroyed or rewritten later or come from hearsay from the press, which is not trustworthy. Um, some were court documents or police records, which, again, both not necessarily trustworthy because they were hearsay. Um, both which we'll cover shortly. Jack has been a butcher. He's been a barber. He's been a woman. He's been a surgeon. He's even been Queen Victoria. <laughs> NHS Holmes, as you said. NHS Holmes, yes. Um, but it's just so far-fetched, all of it. In the real Jack story, the women are usually portrayed as society's waste. They're cartoon characters. We don't even know their names. But here's the deal. All five of them were married. All but one were mothers. Um, none were from Whitechapel. They all ended up there. They began their lives in um, lower to middle class, living in London. So then we need to ask a lot of questions. How did they end up addicts? Mm -hmm. How did they end up in sex work, if some of them did? And, of course, how did they end up murder victims? Mm -hmm. So it's easy to just assume when somebody's killed from sex work, oh, they were out late at night, they deserved it, they had it coming, what did they think would happen? Right, a lot it, of victim blaming. Right, mm -hmm. it's like if you're not a reputable woman, that's what happens to you. And a lot of people explain male violence away in their head like that. Mm -hmm. Like, well, of course, like that wouldn't happen to me because I'm like a rich white girl from the suburbs. Right. When it's like, yes, it will. Mm -hmm. Uh, there's so many theories and ideas and books and documentaries that you can learn anywhere. But if you want to read real things, you just can't go to the documentaries that are on, like, National Geographic. <laughs> like, right, they're yeah. just not accurate. So let's paint a picture of Whitechapel first. This is all happening in fall 1888, and people say they heard nothing in the streets. But really what they mean from anyone who lives in a city is they heard nothing out of the ordinary. Mm -hmm. If you hear somebody yell in the, in the street at 2 a.m., you're like, shut up. Right, yeah. You're not like, oh, my God, someone's been murdered. Mm -hmm. You know? Um, so London is the capital of the richest country on earth at this point. Queen Victoria has been queen for 30 years. Uh, but the Whitechapel or the East End neighborhood is the slums. There's crime. There's alcohol. People are beaten and left for dead. There's activity all hours of the night. It's a market. There are streets. Police don't even go down because they're like, that's a dangerous neighborhood. It's covered with poverty. The houses are cold and dark and neglected. They look abandoned, but like full families live there. There's animals and rodents and chamber pots that are being dumped in the streets i mean does this sound familiar to our hometown <laughs> or what oh yeah um but the highly populated area also had shops and middle class working people and lower class working people who like had just fallen on hard times and are gen generally really good people yeah. it's just like a city mm -hmm. um and then there's also a lot of refugees from the programs in russia like kicking out all these jewish people so polly 
Let's start on Polly. Polly was born Mary Ann Walker in August of 1845. She was the second of three children born to a locksmith and a laundress. Little's known about her early life, but we know that she was baptized at about six years old. She had a lower middle class family on Fleet Street. Her dad worked hard and she was actually sent to school with the yeah. little money that they had. Um, and she was unusually literate for a low class girl living in London. Yeah, I was that's like really surprising. Mm-hmm. It is. But respiratory illness is pretty rough. Mm-hmm. in london um because of the gross poop in the streets and the rats and whatnot so when polly was seven years old her mother got consumption which now we call tuberculosis and women usually got it because they were the nurses who like treated people mm-hmm. so her mother passes away and then her younger brother actually passes away as well and polly took over as the mom of their household but that left her dad and her brother, two male earners, and her. That's a pretty well-to-do like situation. Right, yeah. Two male earners and three mouths to feed. It's not a bad situation no. to be in. So she could actually continue to go to school wow. for like a pretty long time. So in 1863, when Polly was 18 years old, a boy from town, William Nichols, proposed to her, and they were married a month Aww. later. There's no Planned Parenthood (laughs) at this time in history. So women's entire job was like, get married, have babies, look after your babies. Her first baby came 11 months after they got married. Now, this baby did die at a year old, but more and more and more kids just keep coming. And it's really stressing the family finances. Yeah. So the two of them have lots of babies. They're still sharing a house with her dad. And her brother, and with three male earners, it's not enough. Oh, my God. It's like what we're dealing with right now with inflation. Right, yeah. You can have three adult earners in a household, and you don't have enough to feed the family, the kids, the pets, pay for gas. Mm -hmm. It's traumatic. So um, what happens is, in London, George Peabody of Peabody Library in Maryland. <laughs> Ours. Our Peabody. That's exciting. Our was Peabody. he British? No, 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 no. But he loved London. It was like uh, his adopted home. Okay. And he also gave money to like any city he spent time in. So like we have so many buildings in Baltimore named after mm-hmm. Peabody. So they also have that. Um, George Peabody wanted to give money back to London. So he gives them 500,000 pounds, which at that time was $500 million. I was going to say, that sounds like an insane amount of money. $500 million he gives to London to build apartments to help the poor. So that's his idea. I want to house these people in apartments. But there's some strings attached. You have to be a poor person that displays a good moral oh. character. <laughs> good moral like, character. I don't have time to have good moral character. Oh, I'm my God. Poor. I'm dying. Like, <laughs> I just want I, a beer after work. I hate how it's kind of like how last week we talked about how people are like, you can't have nice things if you live below the poverty line. It's like, exactly. It's like in order to be worthy of kindness, you have to be a exceptionally moral poor person. It's like, what? Like, what does that mean? What does that mean? It's and terrible. like, moral and we see it all the standards. Time. Fuck off. Right. Like, 
It's uh-huh. uncomfortable. And we see it all the time because we know that, like, some people are, v- poor people are viewed as better than other poor people. Oh, yeah. Right? Like, if you're out panhandling, you're not considered, like, a morally. No, you're not a good poor person. Like, you should be at the soup kitchen. Right. Or, like, if you go to church and give your last 10%, you're a right. good poor person. Exactly. It's like, actually, I skipped on feeding my children this week. Right. No shade on tithing, but seriously. No, but that yeah. That little mouse in Robin Hood, like, I cannot. <laughs> <laughs> the alms for the poor situation, not okay with it so okay um entry requirements are really hard to get into these apartments you can't make too much money but you can't make too little money um you can't have too many kids but you can't like not have a family (laughs) and you can't have any alcohol and you have to have your smallpox vaccination because vaccination requirements are not new no oh my god (laughs) i know i saw something about that the other day like you know i realized that like we all had to get vaccines to go to college go to school and play sports (laughs) like what people are nuts okay (laughs) you can't have pets no intemperance no playing in the hall your kids can't play in the hallways with other kids (laughs) like there's you're not allowed to put up wallpaper or paint the walls any colors so like they're taking all the joy out of being poor (laughs) which is like yeah it's really upsetting like what do you what do you do if you work in like a shitty job and then come home and can't like live your life that's really upsetting i hate that so much <laughs> i know Jesus but they Christ. they pass polly and william nichols okay they're doing pass, it and they're they get it. four rooms to themselves <gasps> that's exciting four rooms with a laundry in the apartment building and working toilets and clean waters and trash disposals that's amazing. this is the lap of luxury for the lower class in London. Um, so. <laughs> Polly birthed her fourth baby there. So then they have to downsize to a smaller apartment. Because <gasps> they're not good enough anymore. Well, what and they don't mean? have enough money for the gifted apartment. <laughs> the gifted four-room apartment. Now that they have another baby, they need a smaller one because they have another mouth to feed. Is it's that like so is that backwards. the opposite? It's yes. like a, uh, the opposite. opposite. Like you should get yeah. a fucking mm-hmm. upgrade, baby. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> it's also so funny because I feel like this is the same people. Like we can't have birth control. Like what are you talking about? <laughs> right. It's Polly's like, like, I'm sorry. I'm doing the one thing you told me to do. I know. We're <laughs> Polly. <laughs> exactly. Okay. So next door there's this woman who is like a, a nurse, but not like a real nurse. Like a, a what are we called? midwife that's the word (laughs) she's next door she's kind of like a midwife she's a nurse and she helps polly with you know all these kids and she actually helps polly deliver her fifth baby sometime around now she's down to like a studio she has five kids (laughs) (laughs) sometime in this time after kid number five i can't imagine why (sighs) polly and william begin fighting yeah (laughs) they begin fighting now we don't know what order this happened in But at some point, Polly becomes an alcoholic, Polly and William start fighting, and William starts having an affair with this wet nurse. Not wet (sighs) nurse. Midwife. Midwife. Okay. So we don't know if it's Polly had postpartum depression, started drinking, they started fighting, he had an affair, or... She had a baby. He had an affair. Mm-hmm. She started drinking. Like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We have no idea the string of events, but all of it's happening at once. Yeah. Which is all traumatic, regardless of the order. Uh, absolutely. Um, so at one point, 
Polly can't handle it anymore. And she hands over her babies and leaves. <gasps> oh, my God. Which, walking out on your children is really rare. And this is a classic sign of severe addiction yeah. to leave literally everything that you care about. Yeah. Like, specifically women and their children. That's yeah. very, very rare. Yeah. And on, like, you know, we're talking about the, like, moral poor person scale that we've concocted in our heads. Right. And, like, that is the ultimate low. Like, men leave their kids all the time for addiction, and they are still not seen as bad. Right. As a woman who leaves her children for addiction, even though they're literally battling the exact same thing. Oh, yeah. There's such a double standard with that. It makes me so fucking sick. And it will follow Polly for the rest of her short life. So later on, we do know that her father said she left because of the affair. Her husband said she left because of the alcohol. The only person we don't get to hear from is Polly, yeah. which is really upsetting because she's mm-hmm. the person that we need to know her opinion. Mm-hmm. So she needs a job. She's in a society where women who um, could not be treated as equal if they don't have a husband or a family or if you walk out on your kids. She just can't find a job because she lost her home. She lost her husband. She lost her kids. She lost her dignity. She yeah. has nothing left and society's just going to judge her. Um, also, it's important to note that divorce was legal but impossible for poor people because it was really, really expensive. Mm. You could legally, as a poor person, get separated at this time, but to get divorced, you need a lot of money in court. Men could get divorced for a single act of betrayal or adultery. Women needed a single act of adultery and another grounds for divorce. Okay. Um, also, the petitioning party had to have, quote, clean hands. What does that mean? You did nothing wrong in the relationship. <laughs> which who's ever oh, been in a relationship okay. like that? Who's okay. ever? I have never. I mean, I have the dirtiest hands. <laughs> <laughs> Terrible. So um, if you did separate like Polly and William did, you lost connections with a lot of people. Like you're not invited to dinner parties anymore because yeah. people don't associate with un, like with separated people. Mm-hmm. And you're looked down upon and any future relationship is considered adultery for the rest of your life. Yeah. So Rosetta, who was this midwife, did become a stand-in stepmom for these kids. So she really did you know, take on this household of multiple children and we don't know what was happening with Polly and William. So I don't want to judge Rosetta like in that way. Right. Um, so because of that, William and Rosetta and the children had to move out of the Peabody house because they were not seen as morally appropriate anymore. It's against the rules. Most unmarried couples could deal with this though, because they just went about their daily lives and put on a wedding ring and just pretended they were married. But as soon as somebody found you out, you had to move again. Mm -hmm. So it does become kind of like a nomadic lifestyle. Mm -hmm. Um, Only thing you could do as a single woman is enter a local workhouse. Uh, There are few places more feared than a workhouse. Uh, The lodgings and basic food are given to you. Women usually do laundry or separate like the fibers for ropes. They aim honestly to humiliate the people who relied on them. People are treated with disdain. You're hungry. If you're sick, they don't give a shit. 
You don't get broken. Like your sleep is broken up. Like you get bullied by the staff. You get bullied by the other inmates. They're called inmates. The people who are at these lodging houses. There's rats. There's unclean water. Polly did as they do today. She like people believe that her poverty was like her choice. You know, it's like you're in a workhouse because you're being punished for your laziness and your immoral behavior and your bad decisions. Like you're the only person who got yourself here. Right. So like, really, it's not systemic at all. Like Like, you're not going to you're not going to give me money because you think I'm going to spend it on something you don't approve of. Right. Shut up. Mm -hmm. And it's just so negative how we look at poverty like that. Mm -hmm. She knew if she entered this workhouse. Her entire life would be tainted. You can't get that off your record. Your name is there forever. Yeah. She did it anyway, which is important to note. Um, But the reason is the workhouse could get the like alimony checks from William. So men often would not pay their estranged wives because they're usually paying for a new wife. And there's no way in the poor end of London that you could support your children and two women. Yeah. Just impossible. So she's like, I'm going to go to the workhouse and I'm going to do this. So she would have to go in and declare herself deserted and undergo an interview. Then William would be interviewed. I'm sure he said exactly the opposite of what she said. Yeah. Um, He would have likely sullied her name, but they actually found in favor of Polly. Wow. That's surprising. I don't know why. Yeah. But they said that he had to pay five shillings a week for her. Okay. Now, the rough part of this is that it didn't go to Polly. It went to the workhouse, and Polly had to collect it from the workhouse. So this is how kind of they keep these women. Profiting off the poor. Yeah, they're profiting (laughs) off. Exactly, exactly. Love that for them. (laughs) Jesus Christ. So William's super annoyed at this. So he finds a spy service, which this is the era of Sherlock Holmes. Like, I want us to remember that. Because it was very common if your spouse tried to separate from you and they were trying to get money out of you to get a private detective to follow them around until they did something wrong so that you wouldn't have clean hands. Oh, my God. Okay. Um, So he does that. And at some point, Polly, like, takes up living with another guy. Even though he's living with Rosetta. He is living (laughs) with another woman. At some point... She takes up living with another man. It only happens for a little bit, but then he stops paying all of these, this money to the workhouse and they take him to court. He brings in his evidence and then they are in favor of him. Okay. But she had already left this relationship from what we know. So now Polly is destitute. If she had been a sex worker, she would not have surrendered herself to a workhouse again and again, but she kept doing it. She kept going to these workhouses. At one point, she went to live with her father and brother and his wife and their five children, and she spent a lot of time at the local pub, and it caused arguments in that house. And her dad said... She never stayed out, like, super late, and she didn't have, like, super improper behavior, but the alcohol's definitely getting in her way of life. So, at one point, her dad says that she was, like, she said she's better off on her own, so I let her go. Like, her and her dad have a really great relationship, because remember, Mm. his wife died a long time ago, and this is the only girl in the house for him, so he really did, like, care for her and respect her. 
Um, so her life is spent in workhouses, lodging houses, cold outdoor cobblestones. In 1887, she's living rough, which at that point meant homeless. There are 70,000 people in London living rough on the streets. Um, but the problem is that could was attainable for men, but women without shelter became victims of sexual violence and theft mm-hmm. on a regular basis. But in 1888, the workhouse actually found her a job as a local servant as part of their rehabilitation program. So the workhouses are like, we want to repurpose these women to live in houses as nurses and maids. Like, what a great idea. Yeah, that makes sense. Yes, absolutely. Awesome. So she's sent to this Baptist family in a large house with gardens and trees on all sides. She arrives with nothing on her back. They give her shoes and a bonnet and a beautiful dress and these combs for her hair. They're like, we need a clean made for when our friends come over oh yeah like Mm -hmm. dress yourself she wrote to her dad about how great it was and how the people were so religious and amazing and how they're giving her so much responsibility and nobody's ever treated her like this um this is obviously better than sleeping rough or being in a workhouse but in not too long of a time she walked out and we don't know why um They definitely made her go to chapel, which could have made her feel guilty because they were very religious. Mm -hmm. She was the only in-house maid, which means she could have been really lonely. You don't Mm. have anybody to talk to. She could have been going through withdrawal from addiction. Oh, my God, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, if they're super religious, not letting her drink, whatever. So she took all of her belongings and disappeared. This time, she ended up in Whitechapel, and in six weeks, she would be dead six weeks after leaving this house she left with goods from their house that she could pawn the things they gave her she wasn't like oh okay she wasn't stealing just the things they gave her the clothes the bonnet you can pawn that stuff in london um this kept her from having to go to a workhouse again which is nice she went to a lodging house in london she shared a room typically with three other women. She met this woman named Ellen Holland. And Ellen is kind of like the only friend we know that she ever had. Sometimes they would split the cost and share a double bed in these lodging houses. Uh, what we know about Polly is act- in this time is actually largely due to Ellen and her testimony about her. Ellen said she was full of melancholy. I think... She was drinking, but she was mad that she was drinking. She was mad of what she did in her life. And, you know, anytime an addict becomes sober again, they, she's realizing, I left my five kids. Oh, my God. What have I done? You know, like, what have I done with myself is what yeah. she's thinking. I mean, I'm, I mean I'm, I'm, I'm putting that on her, but I, I can – a yeah. mother's guilt. That's hard. Anybody's guilt. Like, yeah. fiance says that all, like, whenever we talk about his addiction, you know, he's like, yeah, when you get sober, you're like, wow, I just – stole my mother's like you know fucking wedding china and pawned it like what the fuck is wrong with me you know and it's like and you're like i need to forget about this for a second you know and like that is one of the like i feel like people are like oh like people get into addiction and like they just love the feeling so much that they keep going back and it's like no they want to escape for a lot of people it's like they want to escape all the fucking shit they had to do to get the goddamn shit in the first place right so it's so upsetting. And, and it's like, do you think really that like people feel are feeling good when they're doing this? It's like, no, it is, you know, one of the things that throws you back into your addiction and like keeps you in that cycle is the stigma and the shame and the feeling like you 
can't reach out and like you're like well i burned all my bridges nobody fucking wants me around anymore and then it's like you get sober and you're like well i may as well just not be sober again so i don't have to think about it exactly right like you're like i just don't want to think about this for a second exactly and i think that that's probably what polly was going through she's like i can't think about that right now Mm because then it's like i think in your mind you're like okay well like if I'm going to get anything done, I need to like forget about that for a second. And then it becomes like, you know, like I'll start tomorrow. I'll start tomorrow. I'll start tomorrow. But like, you never stop feeling bad about like, right. And then it's like, Oh, well I prolonged it this long. What's wrong with me? Why haven't I started? Why can't I get better when everybody else can get better? You start like, and we all have shit like that in our own lives too. It's not as extreme as addiction, but like, you know, there's always that shit that you're like, God, why do I keep fucking doing this? Yeah. But this is on a much more serious and like intimate scale right like this is life altering yeah and it's just like it's terrible for her too because it's like even now we can talk about it and it's not socially acceptable imagine the 1800s there is no there aren't any like scientific words to describe what's happening which is so sad yeah it's just you're a morally bad person and that's the end of the story right so (laughs) why can't you do better why can't you do better yeah and we still think that way, unfortunately, yes, even with our scientific knowledge, which is very frustrating, <laughs> it's frustrating, upsetting the whole works. <sighs> so on the night of August 30th into 31st, Ellen bumps into Polly on a dark street, um, a thoroughfare, like a busy street at 1230 a.m. And Polly's drunk. And she kind of says, like, I drank all my money for our lodging house at the pub. Mm. And Ellen's like, OK, goes about her business like this isn't irregular for her friend um she's still ellen tries to bring polly to the lodging house and the lodging house still turns her away they're not going to give her anything for free and polly says if she actually said this and a das house was like a lodging house in london she says i'll still get my das money see what a jolly bonnet i've got now those 14 words get a life of their own meaning that she was a prostitute looking for a paying client that's our proof. Look Just at that the, one sentence. Look at my bonnet. <laughs> what the fuck does that mean? Like, calm down. It's also interesting, especially knowing that she got a bonnet from the other place. Uh-huh. And, like, that's what I would think is that she'd be like, yeah, you see this? I'm going to fucking sell this yeah, shit. I'm like, going to sell it. Yeah. I'm going to sell this to people so that I can get money to sleep here yeah. tonight. Look at my bonnet. <laughs> Look at my fucking bonnet <laughs> with all the frills upon it. Tote In bag. my Easter parade. <laughs> Tote bag <laughs> spring. <potential. laughs> okay. Got to add some levity into this God awful story. <laughs> it gets worse. Okay. <laughs> Two hours elapse. Ellen sees her again, which what the fuck is Ellen doing out at two 30 in the morning? I don't know. <laughs> Nobody thinks she's a sex worker. No. So she's like, my bonnet staying on and tight. <laughs> I'm not even wearing a bonnet. <laughs> Scandalous. Oh God. <laughs> so she sees um Polly. Polly's like slumped against the wall. She like tries to wake up her friend and convince her to come back to the lodging house with her. But Polly won't move. We've all tried to wake up a drunk person. Oh my god. <laughs> it's yeah. terrible. So apparently Polly had made and spent her money three times that night to, to get to this lodging house. She most likely was panhandling for it. Like, Mm -hmm. of course, um, Ellen saw her walk off, like stumble off into the dark and was like, all right, well, I'm going to bed. Like I'll see Polly in the morning. We'll get, I'll get her water for her hangover. Um, 
So she most likely felt around on the walls, was finding a good place to sleep. She slept on the streets before. Like, you just right. find a spot and you tuck, like, hunker in. It's it's not cold because it's August. Like, right, yeah. It's like the end of August. Like, it's hot as hell. Um, so she finds this gate. She goes through. She slumps against the wall and falls asleep. Polly was discovered about an hour and 20 minutes later at 3.40 a.m., 140 yards from the London mm. Hospital. She was laid on her back with her eyes open and her legs straight and her skirt raised above her knees. Um, she was still warm when the police officers oh, found shit. her. Um, and they pulled down her skirt to co- cover her lower body. Um, and they said, send someone to run for a doctor. Um and the police investigating the crime scene are looking for a blood trail. There's nothing. There's a serious wound across her neck and then some deep wounds in her body. Um, her friend, and that's all I'm going to say about that because I don't want to like demoralize her body any more mm-hmm. than like it needs to be because we all don't need to know that. Her friend from the workhouse, Ellen, identified her body mm. and William was called. William hadn't seen her in years, but he put on a nice coat and tie for the last time he would see his wife. The police chief warned him that he would not recognize her. And apparently when he walked in, the color drained from his face. The gash across her neck had been sewn shut, but there were other long gashes that had been afflicted to her body. And he said on record to her body, I forgive you as you are. I forgive you for what you've been to me because to him it was like yeah she was an addict but she was the mother of my kids this is the little girl I married at 18 like I had five babies with her like I love her and he was sad I think when they broke up I don't think that he wanted them to fall apart which partially makes me think that maybe she was an alcoholic before he started having this affair. Like, I don't know what was happening, but Polly was definitely falling into hard times. And he, I think, loved her. Yeah. And you can love people and still fuck up. My God, know? of course. Like, of course. I think that's also the thing that I'm getting from this is like addiction is nuanced and relationships are nuanced. And like you can love someone and still be like, yeah, I hate what you did. Like, and I think that that's where forgiveness lies in that like I still think of you as a person because I think also people with addiction issues are not seen as humans anymore people won't even make eye contact with them on the street it's disgusting yeah like I can't imagine walking past somebody and not making eye contact that's so rude yeah and it's like your own guilt that's causing you to do that at that point I mean I do it all the time and it's fucked up like it's I I mean I've done it it's like I'm not in the mood I don't have cash I don't know what to say like whatever it is it's like oh I feel guilty in myself so I'm not gonna look at you but it's like oh my god I'm treating you like trash that's right I'm treating you as subhuman right and it's yeah it is fucked up and i uh yeah and yeah i don't know it's, it's just, hard it's it is really hard sad. it is it's hard and it's sad so the problem is the authorities gave no compassion so sure. ellen and yeah. william yes but the authorities that showed up in the middle of the night um wrote in their notebook that they found a woman who was living the life of a prostitute they had never met this woman mm-hmm. they don't know who this woman is and they wrote it down one note formed our entire understanding of polly and all the other all of the other women yeah murdered by jack the ripper 
Um, many possibilities come up. Maybe it was a gang that were going after prostitutes. Maybe it's a crazed prostitute killer. Maybe it was a man from the neighborhood. They're all interviewed and cleared. Um, like it's just, there's so many things happening, but one thing is for sure. Everybody knew that she was out for sex work that night. And unfortunately that changed how the evidence was viewed. Mm -hmm. It changed how the witnesses were questioned. It changed how the press was released and the basis of the theory about who the killer was. Yeah. So we didn't even have a possibility to find him because they were wrong from second one. Yeah. And it like, it sucks. So, I mean, I'm so so (laughs) frustrated because there's just no proof that Polly was a sex worker. Um, We're relying on male police officers that were making one note at a scene at 2.30 a.m. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Or 3.40, whatever it was. Thing one, it's geographically wrong. Most sex workers would work in the richer end of London because they could make more money. Mm -hmm. Thing two... They would have been working the thoroughfares, not the back alleys. And Mm -hmm. yes, of course, they would take their johns to a back alley to have sex. But usually they would go to an apartment or something like that. They wouldn't be left on the street. Thing three, this is at 340. Most sex workers would be in bed by then. Mm -hmm. You're not waiting for the men to come out of the bars anymore. Like, it's pointless to be out in the streets at 340. And thing four, women, sex workers would like would not have been like scrounging like Polly. Yeah. Polly had no money. She had nothing. She was constantly trying for more. Even a low class prostitute would have dwarfed the amount of money she was making. Right. Dwarfed it. Mm-hmm. Well and like you said, she wouldn't have been going to the workhouses so much right. if she was doing this. Exactly. Yeah. And even a casual prostitute, which is something that they bring up a lot, mm-hmm. um, there were mixed sex boarding houses and what you would do is you weren't really working the streets to find a john but you would be like hey you're a man you're paying for a lodging house like if i have sex with you can i stay in your lodging house with you Mm -hmm. that was very common but polly never stayed at mixed sex lodging houses Which is, like, evidence enough that she was, like, so prudish that she wouldn't even spend the night in a place with other men. Right. So that's really uncomfortable. But also what you should know is prostitute as a word was used really broadly back then, and it was interchangeable with the word vagrant. Hmm. People assumed any woman without a man, without a roof over their head, would do anything to survive. Specifically, since the Vagrant Act in the 1880s, police could bring a woman in that they thought was riotous in the streets and call them a prostitute. Mm. So they used the term all the time, disorderly prostitute, just to mean a woman. Mm -hmm. So your name would get written in a notebook, and then you were, to the police, considered a sex worker. And I need to bring up another story to prove my point. There's a woman named Elizabeth Cass in London at this time. She's a dressmaker. She's window shopping for a pair of gloves. A police officer was like, I've seen her on this street before. And if you had seen a woman three times on a street, you could arrest her for what she's doing. She was looking in a window at gloves. So she's arrested. She could have paid the fine, got written in the book of prostitutes and left. 
but Elizabeth. The book of prostitutes. Yeah, the, honestly, oh honestly. So she's like, no, I'm not doing that. And her employer, who is a well-known dressmaker and female business owner, storms into the mm. police station and is like, you wrongfully arrested my employee. I call for an investigation of this police officer. They find he had no grounds to arrest her. The officer was brought up on perjury charges and dismissed. Oh, my God. All in this exact same time. But what if you have no one to do that for you? Exactly. And Polly didn't. Yeah. And so did so many women who their names are getting written in this book that shouldn't exist because they just plead guilty to get out of there. They pay the fine. They leave the police office. Like they have kids. They have lives. They have jobs. They have whatever they have to do. Yeah. Well, and like we were saying, like that. The the blanket term prostitute is essentially just making sure that people think that you are not human. And it sucks because, like we said earlier, like, even if they all were sex workers, some of them were, like, whatever, it doesn't matter. They shouldn't have been treated that way <laughs> in any reality, you right. know? And I think that that's so important to keep in mind throughout all of this. Like you said at the very beginning, like it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if she was or wasn't like, she's still a fucking human being. <laughs> exactly. Like- and the problem was that any person on the street, this meant women needed permission to be on the street, yeah. which is the undertone of this, which is the biggest problem. Yeah. If you were out without a man, you didn't have permission, which yeah. that's the disgusting thing that nobody's talking about. Yeah. So in open court, they ask her grieving father, was she fast? And he answered, no, I, I never heard of anything of that sort. Like, my daughter wasn't fast. And then they ask Ellen, um, was she a clean woman? And Ellen's like, yeah, she was a very clean woman. All of this alluding to the fact is like, is she a sex worker? Yeah. All this came from the Jolly Bonnet comment that could have meant anything. It could have meant I'm going to go beg for money in this. It could have meant I'm going to pawn it. It could have meant I'm going to trade it, whatever. But could have been like, I'm smart and like yeah. I know how to get money. I got, I got a Jolly Bonnet. I got Jolly Bonnet. I got, yeah. I'm fucking smart. You know like, how people in London talk? They're yeah. crazy. <laughs> Say fucking phrases that don't make sense. They're just chuffed 24 7. I'm gutted. I'm gutted over this. Like, you're gutted. No. 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 Polly was gutted. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, <laughs> the problem is, they took the sworn testimony of her father and her friend and ignored <gasps> it. Ignored it. Oh, my and God. And just, like, took, like, the we're more comfortable with the narrative of her being a prostitute. Well, it makes it easier because it means you don't have to fucking investigate it. Exactly. Because no one's going to be upset if you don't look at this any closer. And nobody will be ex- upset if she is a sex worker. Exactly. Because that's not me is what everybody's mm-hmm. thinking. That's not me. That's not my wife. That's not my daughter. That would never happen to me because I don't do that. Right. I'm, I'm not, not that out kind of night. person. Right. Yeah. So ripperologists refuse to listen to any of this logic. <laughs> they say that only feminists feel this way <laughs> about these women. And I'm going to start a website called Only Feminists. <laughs> only Feminists. As a response to Only Feminists. And they're like, <laughs> only feminists, but it's just us with all our clothes on. And then it's us just, also without just, our clothes on. Who cares? But it's just me on a screen like, I'm going to lecture you about something. This is Only Feminists. Only if feminists. you want to lecture about. <laughs> <laughs> That's such a great story social media idea maybe we do it um so they just um 
I was listening to this one guy talk about it, and he was like, they just love to believe that all women fell on hard times. <laughs> it's like, like, yes, in an era without birth control? Yes, um, all women were not having a good time. And divorce was illegal? Yeah. <laughs> wow, I wonder why they were miserable. Jesus Christ. Like... So the best oh way God. the best way to describe this which i found this amazing there's this historian named Jillian Lauren and she's an author and she used the term the less dead which i've never heard the less oh, yeah. dead before they use that a lot in true crime podcasts okay mm-hmm. so what it refers to is victims who don't attract society's sympathy. Mm-hmm. So poor women, non-white victims, LGBTQ plus victims, people that were kind of indifferent to their plight. Mm-hmm. The the most dead would be like the white rich kid who like was John murdered on spring break, right? Or murdered <laughs> in her house or like the politician's daughter yeah. is the most dead. Mm-hmm. So in reality, yes, men are violent and we all know that in society, But they do actually choose to prey on sex workers because they know they can get away with it. And Jack, we don't know if he's a part of that, but his story is a part of that. Mm -hmm. We saw him get away with the most famous murders in history. Um, But because of that, he's become a socially acceptable serial killer. Mm -hmm. There are Halloween costumes. There are mugs. There are coloring books. Oh, my God. There are tourist destinations where you can go and stand on the places where these women bled to death, where they were brutalized. And we're excited about it, like, which is what's so hard to understand because we've separated ourselves from the women that they were and just decided that, like, we would have been better. Yeah. Well, so, it's also it's the and and never ending fascination with true crime. You oh, know, of like of course, of course. And I don't, I don't disagree. Like I will still watch a Jack the Ripper. Oh my gosh, absolutely. Like true crime, I love it. But I am yeah, also I will gonna, take the murder tour in Louisiana and New Orleans. Yeah, like, exactly. Yes. I just also want to view it with new eyes and remember, yeah. like what why I'm fascinated and also that these are real victims and it wasn't that long ago. Like some of these women have grandchildren and great grandchildren that still live (laughs) and it's not okay to just like demoralize them as a cartoon character that was like, it's their fault. They got murdered. Mm -hmm. So to end it out, I just want to name all five of the women that we know that this same person killed. Obviously, Polly Nichols, Ann Chapman, Elizabeth Stride, Kate Eddowes, and Marianne Kelly. God, also, like, it's striking that, like, those are all very British names, and, like, those are the names that, like, a lot of us have. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Like, like Anne, Elizabeth, Kate, Mary, Anne. I know ev- <laughs> everyone I know has one of those middle names. Exactly. Like, <laughs> you know, and, like, I just think that brings it into light because, yeah, we don't even hear their names ever let alone like we probably know someone with any one of those names maybe all of them right I don't know so I don't know I thought it was a really great story and I mean I don't think we could ever cover we'll cover more of these women but I don't think we would ever have to cover like Whitechapel and that type of thing in as much detail because they all happen in August and September yeah it's too it's like this is two months that have taken the world by storm it's just so sad yeah so that's the story oh, well, of Polly Nichols. That was so interesting. Um, <gasps> now that we're leaving Whitechapel, we'll go into the underworld. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we'll be right back. Persephone. <laughs> 
so many t-shirts back to back in my entire <laughs> life. I was like, is she going to do this every day? Uh, every day of work. Yeah. For it's the very impressive. No, I, I do have these t-shirts. Like, <laughs> like I think I counted out my like women themed t-shirts and tank tops and whatnot and came up with like four short. So like yeah. I bought four. Yeah. But like other than that, I, le- <laughs> I legitimately own these shirts because like people buy them for me. That's like- so funny, especially because like I uh, am not a good t-shirt wearer. T-shirts just like don't look great on me. I've tried. Like- I think I look like a dummy every no, day. No, <laughs> you look really good in a t-shirt. Oh, okay. That's yeah. Good to no, know. you do. I um, hate it. I <laughs> I tried on a t-shirt at Target the other day, and I was like, woo, not for me, and I <laughs> left it in the dressing room. <laughs> I walked Someone out. else had already already left their clothes, so okay, I wasn't okay. being like a total monster. It's a whole it was a whole thing. Um, I just have never worn this many t-shirts to work. Like, I usually wear them, like, around, and then especially on Women's History Month, but now yeah. it's like a thing. <laughs> Ooh, very exciting. Do you feel pressure, though? No, I love it. Oh, perfect. I love it. Yeah, I mean, this is my whole vibe. Yeah. I don't know. There's nothing else I'm doing with my life that's good, yeah. so I'll, 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 I'll Yeah, it. this sucks. This No, um, I meant the podcast. I meant all of women's history. That's my thing now. You perfect. know how, like, your sibling likes giraffes? You buy them giraffe shit? Mm-hmm. It's like that. Now people just buy me women's history shit, and I'm like, that's perfect. I like that. <laughs> good, good, good. All right. Are you ready? I'm ready. Do you want to know what you're about to drink? I do. It looks so frothy <laughs> and floral. So this is called Spring Forward. Mm. It mm. is gin amaretto, heavy cream, lemon curd, a little bit of vanilla extract. And I wanted to make it extra creamy. So I put a little bit of chickpea juice or chickpea water or aquafava in it. Uh, you shake it all up and then you top it with edible flowers. I don't know if the flowers I used were edible. Um, so we might die. So might die so Perfect. cheers cheers food poisoning <laughs> get off work tomorrow mm. oh my gosh it tastes like like a um what was that lemon dessert it tastes like a lemon dessert yeah it tastes so, so good, good. <laughs> i don't even taste alcohol this no. is wonderful oh. no this is delicious i love it it um, tastes like, like a lemon meringue or something yes um, absolutely yeah i got this recipe i saw it on a website god i should have written down the fucking website um but yeah it was called a white rabbit and i just like tweaked it a little bit mm. um but i was like lemon curd in a cocktail that sounds Fun. amazing yeah 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 um it really puts the pressure on it like yeah that. <laughs> um but yeah it's really good wow very how great spring because we're the week we're releasing this uh the uh it'll be on saint patrick's day but the first day of spring is right afterwards yes, so correct. i wanted to do a very hopeful <laughs> i need warm weather now spring cocktail oh, great because i just went with murder <laughs> <laughs> that's all the same isn't it so what do you know about persephone Okay, so I know that Persephone made, like, a deal so that she definitely spends half of her time in the underworld with Hades. And then in spring, she spends, like, half of her time, like, up in the sun. Mm -hmm. I know that when we did that patron episode about who we thought Greek Greek goddesses were, that you said I was Persephone. And I said, you were Artemis. So I'm taking this very personally. (laughs) Okay, perfect. (laughs) And I, I know that she... 
it was almost like she was paying a price to go to the underworld, but I also think she kind of enjoys it. Mm. Like, I think she, like, kind of likes being there yeah. and is not entirely opposed to her life there. And I've always taken Persephone to be a very intriguing Greek goddess because there's so many, like, the others are so very, like, Aphrodite is love and Artemis yeah. is this. And, you know what I mean? Like, Athena she's a little is big. This. Yeah. Persephone is vague, but just as notable in name. Oh, absolutely. So tell me about (laughs) Persephone. Okay. So my sources are, my main one is the John Solo YouTube series. He does like messed up origin videos. Oh, fun. Um, I'm sure everybody's like seen kind of him before. Um, He's a famous YouTuber. Um, And then I did the extra credits YouTube series. So they both had really good videos on Persephone. Um, and then when we get to an interesting topic later, I got that from the BBC World Ser- World Service podcast. Uh, I think it's called like The Forum or something. Oh, fun. So those are my sources. Uh, the Wikipedia page for Greek gods is like not that good. <laughs> it's just like kind of all over the place and like you know again too like, many names too many people too yeah. many places and also like if you are a master of greek history and you know greek mythology i do apologize there's just so much and this won't be fun for you yeah i'm sorry that's fine <gasps> okay our story begins like many greek myths do with zeus <laughs> god damn it but this time he is with his fourth wife demeter uh, so Demeter is one of the lesser known goddesses, uh, and perhaps it's because she is one of the earliest ones. Uh, she is one of the 12 original Olympians. So I think it was like the 12 Olympians were the 12 like children of like the Kronos. Titans, right? They're the Titans are the mm-hmm. children of Kronos. So <clears throat> while we're talking about all these people, they were like... <laughs> technically like Zeus and Demeter are brother and sister and then they get together classy Hades is also a sibling so like you know we all know there's a lot of incest because they're just like we're only talking about like a handful of people here so Mm -hmm. (laughs) um but they're gods so it's fine yeah and she is the goddess associated with grain and agriculture and growing which is why she's often portrayed holding wheat stalks She has a few partners among her many stories, but Zeus is the most famous because out of it, we got Persephone. Persephone was absolutely the light of her mother's life. She loved her so much that even though she is the goddess of like all this stuff on earth, she kept Persephone up at Mount Olympus because she just was so worried about something happening to her. And But that meant that Persephone was growing up kind of looking down on all these things that her mother was creating and she wanted to be a part of it. She wanted to go see it. She's like, I want to know what the fucking sun is like. Like, we're above Helios. Like, what's going on? Like, I want to (laughs) know. Very little mermaid of her. Um, So after much begging and pleading, the mother and daughter went down to earth. But while Persephone was walking the earth, minding her own business, living her best life among the flowers and the trees and the water. She's really Bambiing. Yeah, exactly. Hades, the god of the underworld, caught a glimpse of her and immediately fell in love with her. And he's always trying to stick it to Zeus. Absolutely. Uh, He wanted to marry her. So, of course, he went straight to dad. Um, (laughs) His brother. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, And he's like, Zeus, I really want to marry my niece. Um, (laughs) But 
he goes to Zeus and he says, I want to marry Persephone. And you made a deal with me that I could marry any of your daughters. So Zeus is like, oh, shit, I did kind of make that promise. <laughs> so he says, okay, but I need to warn you, her mother Demeter is really protective of her. So you might have to get a little sneaky. So they devise a plan. One day, while Persephone is playing with some water nymphs in the forest, she spots the most beautiful flower she has ever seen. In a lot of stories, it is a narcissus flower, which I didn't know is a daffodil. Did you know that that's what her name went? No, I did not know that yeah. her name meant daffodil. That comes up in March at the beginning of spring, which makes absolute sense. Again, now. it's all fucking sick. Like, oh. We okay. name everything about the Greek culture, <laughs> apparently. Apparently. Um, so she sees this daffodil. She's like, that's the most beautiful fucking flower I've ever seen. I have to have it. So she I wouldn't bends call a daffodil down. the most beautiful flower. <laughs> I would say, though, if you had never seen a daffodil and you saw one, it's a commoner's might, rose, Katie. It's you a commoner's might <laughs> be like, that thing is weird looking <laughs> because they do have an interesting shape. It looks like a duck. It does look like a duck. <laughs> <laughs> so I start quacking or are we good? She, mm, <laughs> <laughs> I don't I'm going to sidebar this just because this is a ridiculous story. I woke up in a cold sweat the other night what? because I was so upset because I remembered the story about how Goldberg from the Mighty Ducks got addicted to meth and he got Honestly. arrested. But he's yeah. two years sober now. And his face looks so much more it cool. It looks so much better. I agree. People raised money. He got all his teeth fixed. Like, yeah gorgeous story um mm-hmm. goldberg we love you i'm so sorry that that happened to you and i'm so sorry i don't remember your name and can we all like raise money for other people in addiction Speaking of, and not exactly just not just not celebrities. celebrities jesus christ um hashtag not only celebrities yeah but yeah i, I literally woke up the middle of the night and i was like <gasps> i have to see that picture of him oh my um, god i've been sweating every night and i think i might be going through menopause ooh. but i'm too young for that right mm-hmm. 35 like don't worry some people start early I thought I was going through menopause maybe it was during the beginning of the pandemic and I was like, Oh, it's just anxiety. Oh, so my don't job worry. Is doing this to me. <laughs> yes, it's your okay, job. Okay, good. It's your job okay. and your life and your husband's job and everything's fine. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> or is it pause? Or is it menopause? <laughs> the, Everybody vote. What do you think? The body works in mysterious ways. Is it menopause? Is it fine? <laughs> is it both? Okay, go. <laughs> What's uterus? Um, (laughs) Throw a bear. (laughs) So she bends down. She picks this flower up and suddenly a giant hole opens up (gasps) in the earth and a black chariot with Hades in it emerges from it. Sounds hot to me, honestly. (laughs) (laughs) He chases Persephone and grabs her and takes her down into the underworld. So some people call this the kidnapping of Persephone and other stories call it the rape of Persephone. Mm. So, you know, some versions obviously include that he assaults her while he's doing this, you know. So, again, these stories are <laughs> really, really old. So it just depends on the version. It sounds reading. to me like the sale of Persephone because Zeus had a part in this. Exactly. He's, like, he helped sold her plan out. It. Yeah. He helped plan it. Right. And also it's like. Even if it wasn't, like, a sexual assault, like, it's still, like, a violation to kidnap this woman and, like, take (laughs) her away from her home against her will and take her to your lair. Okay. Take me to your lair. No! (laughs) I want to go to the underworld! (laughs) Um, So, she's kidnapped. She's in the underworld. Demeter, obviously, comes back looking for her daughter and... 
she can't find her and she's getting very upset and the nymphs are there and she's like okay you were fucking here like what the hell happened i'm having like palpitations i can't yeah and the nymphs are like look that happened on land we're water creatures like we don't fucking know what happened like we have no power outside of the water like that's not our territory and that is not cutting it for demeter she was like that's not okay you should have fucking helped her or at least looked and told me what the fuck happened and she curses them (gasps) she turns them into half woman half bird creatures and she's like i'm sending you to a rock in the middle of the fucking ocean and you can spend the rest of your lives singing to the ships in the sea hoping that men crash and die siren yes which is interesting because the way they look is more harpy-esque. But she actually makes them sirens, which is so fascinating. But think, though, what if they had snitched on Hades? What a worse fate. It's almost like snitch on the weaker of the two gods, mm-hmm. right? Like, yeah. that, I, would de- I wouldn't be like, yeah, well, Hades, he yeah. got her. He got, got her. <laughs> um... But yeah, so now they're sirens, <laughs> but like half bird sirens, which I've never seen before. They're always like kind of like mermaid-esque to me. Um, well, I think that's a vision they put out, right? I think they're supposed to be oh. ugly. Yeah, but you think they're pretty because their voices. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I think the voices lure you. Uh, yes. Um, no, so anyways, you know, there are a lot of different, I'm sure, origin stories, too, of the, you know, harpies and you know sirens so if you're like that's not how they were created like again there's a lot of different there's a thousand calm down so this was just the beginning of demeter's grief she cried and cried and wandered the earth for nine days straight without eating or drinking or bathing searching for her daughter she combed the whole earth oh my god because april showers right Mm -hmm. Hecate, or Hecate, no, depending on how you want to pronounce it, um, admitted that she had heard Persephone's screams, but didn't know where she be, had been taken. She was like, I heard her. I don't know what happened. But she goes, you know who might know is Helios, the sun god. I mean, he's up in the sky all the time. He's seeing everything. So he like usually knows what the fuck is going on. So they go to Helios, and he's like, okay, like I don't normally disclose what I've seen. <laughs> I'm a very private person. But I've seen your grief. Like, you are really desperate, so I will help you, and I'll tell you what happened. And he tells her that Hades took her down to the underworld, and then he tells her that Zeus helped. And this just fucking breaks Demeter. She's so pissed. And she decides, she goes, this is bigger than me and Zeus. She goes, I am taking this out on the whole fucking world. She makes the land turn brown. She ceases the production of grain and vegetables. She stops the rain, essentially starving the people of Earth. So the people are in this awful famine and they are begging and pleading with Zeus to do something about it. And the gods are complaining and they're telling Zeus to do something about it because if the people on Earth can't grow anything then they can't sacrifice anything to the gods. The whole fucking system is broken, which is also like such a whatever for capitalism. Like, <laughs> you know, it's like, Get no, the we workers. need to feed them. We need to be the workers so we can, have, we can exploit someone. The 99%. Um, <laughs> exactly. Um, so 
Zeus tries to reason with Demeter and she obviously tells him to fuck off. And then he sends the other gods to her and they're bribing her with all these things like, you know, Poseidon is like, I have fish for you. And the god of wine is like, I got wine for you. And she's like, I don't want any of it. I just want my daughter. Demetrius. Demetra. <laughs> the wine god. Pers- oh, is that the wine god? Yeah, he start- it starts with a D. Oh, does yeah. it? Yeah, uh-huh. I remember hearing it in the video and I don't remember. I'll find it out. Go ahead. Because I, I should know this one because I really care about wine. Yeah. <laughs> um, so she just like Demetrides. I'm, I'm in my head still. Right. Still Demetrides. in my head. God of wine. Yeah. That does sound right. Um, still looking. Okay. Still looking. <laughs> Dionysus. Mm. Ah. Dionysus. I should know pull. that. So. Demeter is just so upset and concerned because she just can't imagine all the awful things that Hades is doing to her daughter in the underworld. And she just needed her safely back home. Mm. Now, in most versions of what was happening in the underworld was that Hades was giving Persephone a ton of gifts and just trying to do anything to make her a little bit happier. He even made her the queen of the underworld so that they could have equal positions of power. But Persephone was just not happy. She's like, I'm an outdoor girl. I want to be with my family. I want to be with my mom. I want to be up above. I don't want to be in this land of death. She goes, I'm stuck here. I did not choose this. So she's like, no matter what you give me, like, I'm not going to be happy. Yeah, that's some bell shit right there. Right. And let's not, cause like, let's not forget that I'm no matter how much he was like, no, I love her. He fucking kidnapped her. And that's yeah. always going to put a damper on things. <sighs> so Zeus finally agrees to step in. And he sends Hermes down to get Persephone. He's like, okay, bring her back up. The people are fucking starving. We can't be doing this anymore. So Hermes goes down. He's like, okay, bitch, pack your, <laughs> pack your bags. Uh, you're coming back up to the upper echelon. And Persephone is so excited. She's like, finally, like someone to rescue me. I'm going home. I'm going to be with my mother. I'm going to be away from Hades. But right before she goes, he's like, okay, but one last guy for me a pomegranate oh yes 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 so i I was gonna put pomegranate (laughs) seeds in my cocktail but i could not find a pomegranate in baltimore city it's not this time (laughs) it's It's not the the season listen pretend there's a pomegranate in it and if you're you're in a warmer place do that so she's like okay here's the seed i'm gonna eat it she doesn't really give it much thought And then she goes off and she's reunited with her mother. And it's such a wonderful reunion. They're hugging and crying. And almost immediately the rain comes down and slowly but surely the earth comes back to life. Oh my God. It's like that last scene in the Lion King. Exactly. (laughs) Can you picture it? I can. Vegetables and wheat are sprouting out from everywhere. And the people of earth are so happy that they're holding great festivals in her honor. But then Demeter thinks of something and she looks at her daughter and asks, I have to know did you eat any food while you were in the underworld and she goes oh no and she goes well i i mean i did have like a pomegranate seed like one though like one pomegranate seed it's not that big of the a deal right the whole time mhm 
Well, she wasn't at like the underworld parties. I like, guess she's not. not invited? I guess not. Come on. Give me some undead parties. I know. <laughs> and her mother breaks the news to her that there is a rule that if you eat the food of the dead, you are tied to the underworld forever. Meaning that Persephone would have to return. She would never be able to live her life completely on earth. So Demeter goes to Zeus once again and she's like, I will not lose her forever. So like if she goes back, she can't stay there. She has to come back to me at some point. So like you better fucking do something about this. So Zeus goes to Hades and they make a compromise. Persephone would spend half of the year on earth and half of the year in the underworld with Hades. So when Persephone went back to the underworld, Demeter would sink into a depression. The days would become shorter, the air colder, and life would seem to cease. But when she would come back a few months later, the days would get longer, the grass would grow, and springtime would return once more. And that is how the Greeks explained the seasons, Seasons. (laughs) which is so cute. So if you are a person uh, with seasonal depression, uh, Demeter and Persephone are right there with you. (laughs) Because I think that it makes me feel as if the, you know, like seasonal depression is really fucking rough. Like, and it, it makes me feel as if like, okay, like people in ancient Greece were also feeling this sadness when it came to this time of the year and you kind of do feel like hopeless sometimes and so I think it's just encouraging to people you know because some people have it worse than others and to just know that like this is not something new (laughs) people have been dealing with this forever so yeah uh but over time Persephone did end up growing into the role of the queen of the underworld um And there are some versions of her story that, like, paint her and Hades of having this, like, incredible love story, which is Mm -hmm. interesting. And they're seen as, like, a very powerful partnership. And in some instances, like, you know, in some tellings of the story, it's like she wants to go back home. Kind of like you were saying, like, there are versions of that story where she really does come into her power and it's like I am the fucking queen of the underworld and I'm springtime yeah it's like I can be both like and I I think it's an interesting way to paint her story which is like yeah I think most of us know that it was a shady deal for her to be taken into the underworld but like at the same time it is really fun to think about like once she was there to have a springtime person rule the underworld is an amazing gift to death Absolutely. And I think that it's a great way to think of Persephone as like having springtime rule death is such like what a great thing to have on the right hand of Hades. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Like even if they're not in a sexual or like loving relationship, just to have this woman that he is interested in be like, yes. And maybe let everybody have a maypole. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. she's just down there like, let's kick up the river sticks. Exactly. Let's like, let's, like put some lanterns afloating. <laughs> you know? I just exactly. feel like she was, I feel like she was the vibe the underworld needed when it wasn't getting it. Absolutely. You know? And you know, I want to say too that like, we're talking about her being like springtime and positivity and like this perfect woman. And it's like, but she was also kind of shady herself. <laughs> <laughs> of course she was. Who isn't? Who isn't? She doesn't have clean um, hands. So <laughs> there was a time when her and Aphrodite both fell in love with Adonis. 
Uh oh. I mean, who wouldn't? His name still means like hot shit today. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, the feud got so bad that eventually Zeus stepped in yet again and was like, well, the whole dividing up time thing worked out with Persephone and Hades, so why not for these two chicks? He ordered that Adonis would split his time into thirds. He said, okay, one third with Persephone, one third with Aphrodite, (laughs) and the other third, not you get to be alone, you get to choose which woman you want to spend the other third of your year with. Hate that. Hate that. So everything's fine until it comes to that last third and he has to choose. And he chooses Aphrodite. Again, not surprising. I mean, she's like the goddess of love. And Persephone is the queen of the underworld. Like, the you know, it's... She's Christina Ricci. <laughs> <laughs> and Aphrodite is Pam Anderson. I was it's thinking not Pam Anderson. A, <laughs> it's not a fair comparison. And he's Tommy Lee. <laughs> ew. Oh, no. Ew. Just kidding. Just kidding. He's the rock. <laughs> the rock. Dwayne. <laughs> Um, Dwayne the Donis Johnson. <laughs> so, this is a shit show at this point. Uh, yeah, it is. Uh, too much curd. So uh, Persephone is Mother really hurt that Adonis picked Aphrodite over her. I would be. So she sends a group of wild boar to kill Adonis while he is on a hunting trip. Yeah, of course. They trample him again. Very uh, Lion King-esque. I love a wild boar killing. Yeah. <laughs> love it. Um, and he dies in Aphrodite's arms. Just like a big middle finger to both of them. Listen, from all of the brown haired girls out there. <laughs> ha! I see you and I hear you. Get some boars. <laughs> Get some boars. Get a wild boar. Get a wild boar clan. And then do what you need to do. <laughs> exactly. Honestly. So obviously Persephone on her end is like kind of in an open relationship. <laughs> but apparently it's only for her because when Hades ex-girlfriend Minth <laughs> waltzes into the underworld, she's bragging about how she's like, I'm going to get Hades back. Persephone's going to be bye bye. I don't give a fuck about her. I'm the new hot girl in town. I back again like whatever guess who's back back, <laughs> back, back again. again um so yeah she's slim shadying all the way into mm-hmm. the underworld and she's like here's my three-headed dog bitch That's oh gonna, we'll get to that gonna eat you alive we will get to the okay. three-headed dog good um and persephone was like uh i don't think so so she see my crown lies into see a jealous dress? rage <laughs> and she turns mint into a mint plant so I guess that's where mint comes from. Oh, from my cocktail. <laughs> I know. I couldn't believe that you put mint in your cocktail because I was like, that's perfect. Last minute decision, honestly. <laughs> Last minute decision. Um, in the yeah. Isles of Giants. I always knew I liked mint. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I feel bad for this girl, though. That's not her fault. She was just trying to strut her stuff. She's just trying to be her. Somebody you know? might have left her and she was like, you know what? I'm going to go back for Hades. You know what? This is, again, blaming the woman and not right. the man. If Hades chooses to cheat... Then blame him. Right. 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 (laughs) (laughs) Right again. (laughs) Nothing else to say. Mint is the Jolene of the underworld. (laughs) Justice for mint. (laughs) I. (laughs) But this is the thing about Persephone. I do think that she is 
a lover at heart. And lover, not a hater. Uh, a lover who has maybe spent a little too much time in the underworld uh, because she did believe in love. But oh, I think that it was kind of. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I think that that's why she had a heart for two young lovers named Orpheus and Eurydice. Hmm. <laughs> Orpheus was a musical prodigy who fell in love with a woman named Eurydice. They got married, but were warned that their love was doomed. One day, while Eurydice is taking a walk, she is attacked by a satyr who attempts to rape her. She ran away, but unfortunately was chased into a den of vipers where she was bitten and died. When Orpheus found her, he was so sad that the songs that he sang from that day out were, I mean, they affected the actual earth, like the animals and the plants and everything could feel his pain. The gods could feel his pain. So like, okay, we cannot do this anymore. <laughs> so the gods told him, just go down to the underworld and talk to Hades. See if he'll work out a deal with you. So Hermes, faithful Hermes, escorted the young man down into the land of the dead, with his music helping him along the way, most famously when he sang a three-headed dog to sleep to pass a doorway. Ah, told you! So he finally gets down to Hades, and he plays a song for him and Persephone, Persephone to try and convince them to give him Eurydice back. He sings a song so beautiful that Persephone's heart just melts, and she convinces Hades to make the poor lovesick fool a deal. They say, okay, you both can walk out of here, but Orpheus, you have to walk in front and you can't turn back and look at Eurydice. It's lot. You are both back in the world of the living. It is totally salt wife. Lot, 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 lot. Um, so they <laughs> Listen, my walk. Christian friend. <laughs> I'm telling you. So they walk and they walk and they walk. And right when Orpheus gets out of the cave, he starts to get nervous. He's like, I don't hear her footsteps. What if I walked all this way out of the underworld and they're fooling me? What if she's not actually behind me? And of course, he looks back no. only to see Eurydice right at the entrance to the cave, and she is swept back into the underworld no! at the last minute. No, it's so sad. No, no, no. I hate that story. Hate it Take it away. I know. Soar it away. I don't. Want I don't it. want it. It's so sad. It also. I first heard of the, even the person, you know, the goddess Persephone from a she and him song called Don't Look Back. <laughs> Oh, interesting. And the first line is Orpheus melted the heart of Persephone. Oh. And because so that was why I always thought that like Persephone and Orpheus were the oh. couple. No, but it's like she but believed in love. So she much. believed in love so much that, she yeah, this happened. This couple. Mm -hmm. Oh, oh it's so sad. That so, devastates me. Stop looking back. Your girl will be there. Trust your girl. It's also like, I think it's such a, um, I don't know, kind of a, a lesson on like, getting over things trust fall yeah, it's, <laughs> it's a trust fall it is um so those are the most famous stories about persephone um but to the people of the ancient world the story of a young woman getting dragged to the underworld may have sounded a bit familiar apparently this is called the dying and rising god archetype mm -hmm. uh one of the most famous examples of this which predates the persephone story is from the sumerian people 
who were like the ancient Egyptian Egyptians. They had a very similar culture, but they were based in modern day Iraq. So just a slightly different area. More were like the Tigris and the Euphrates, Fertile Crescent are and all that. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. they are a different culture, but they are similar. People like compare them a lot. Yes, exactly. Crescent. Yeah. Um, so the goddess Ereshkigai, uh, is abducted by Kerr, who's kind of an evil dragon. And she is forced to rule the underworld or Kala with him, which again sounds pretty familiar. <laughs> and I only bring this up because it's important to realize that these stories are as old as time. And it shows also that a woman being taken against her will and forced to marry someone has always been deemed as kind of fucked up. You know, like people are always like, no, it's a different time. And I'm like, yes, it's a different time. But like people in the fucking Sumerian age knew that it was messed up to do this. They get it. They get it. And this was something that like. I guarantee you women were like, yes, I fucking connect with that. And we know that women are the storytellers of history. And the reason that all these stories go on is because they're the ones handing it down. Exactly. So like, you're going to fucking hear about Arishkigal, you know, and Kerr because this might happen to you. And I want. Well, because how many times have you sat with me at a dinner table and heard me lecture my daughters on like, this is what you need to do if X, Y, Z happens. And it just comes up in common conversation. Yeah. Men don't have to do that. They have to do different things. Yeah. You do have to tell your sons, don't put yourself in this situation. Don't be in a room alone with a woman. Don't make her feel intimidated. Like you do have to do that. If you have a black son, you have to do that. Don't put your hood up. Don't Mm -hmm. this. Don't that. But with girls, we have to have a conversation. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. All of it is, it's all, every person you're with, you have to have an in-depth conversation. And obviously these mothers who are passing on these stories were having these conversations with their daughters. Exactly. The conversations that we have with our children are timeless. Right. Um, so we're going to end on one more really interesting thing that came from the Demeter Persephone story which I had never heard of. And apparently it's an ancient Greek cult called the Lucian Mysteries. Have you ever heard of this? No. Okay. Greek cult? It's excuse, a cult. Excuse me? It's a cult. Okay. So The occult? Uh-huh. <laughs> so Eleusis is a town outside of Athens. And it was here where a East cult. East or West? <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> I think West, actually. Oh, my God. Thank you. Um, and it was here where a cult was formed out of people claiming that when Demeter was reunited with Persephone, she was so happy that she told the people of this town the secret of cultivating grain. And... Being the best like grain producer in a largely agricultural agrarian society is a really big fucking deal. So this then birthed this very secret organization that were basically just like, you know, people worshiping Persephone and Demeter. Um, the Illuminati. But it got. <laughs> Stop. I'm so sorry. Go, go. Illuminati. Oh, God, that's really funny. (laughs) I'm so sorry. Woo, no, that was perfect. Um, (laughs) Now, this was a very secret organization, and if anyone who wasn't initiated into the organization was told of the mysteries, apparently Demeter would strike them mute. Like, that was, like, the punishment. Hate that. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm-hmm. And... 
But like in this society, it's important to know the mystery of Demeter because happy are those who have seen Demeter's mysteries during their lives. Mm. But those who have not been introduced to them will descend into the underworld without her guiding light or inner peace. So I want to be clear. This is a very mysterious group. Every like video on it was like very dry it was like a lecture like a college lecture and i wasn't gonna do that so the all the information i got on this is from the bbc podcast i mentioned earlier i'm not gonna do my research the way i should this is not peer-reviewed honestly are we ever what are you expecting we're beer reviewed The puns are out of control tonight. <laughs> so apparently the Eleusian Mysteries group existed for about 800 to 1,000 years. Can't handle that. And they were so good at keeping their mysteries that we still don't know a ton about them. <laughs> but we do know a few things. Okay, tell me. Their big thing was obviously a festival held during the month of flowers or spring, which Maple. makes a lot of sense, Got you it. know, with everything we just learned. Um, but you definitely had to pay to take part in it. Oh, <laughs> Not <shit>. surprising. <laughs> a lot of cults are big money makers. Um, so sometimes these like secrets to this good life and this, you know, bountiful green was kind of uh, restricted to the wealthy people of Greece, <laughs> which then again made sense because it's like, well, I'm only rich because I know the mysteries, you know, it's like, okay, fuck off. So some people did it just for fun and others took part in the mysteries to profoundly change their lives. When I was re- reading about this, it kind of felt to me like an ancient Greek burning man. <laughs> We're about to get into the actual ceremonies and stuff, but like, that's what it felt like to me where some people were like, yeah, I went to Burning Man. It was fun. And other people are like, I went to Burning Man and I'm a different fucking human being. I'm not even on this plane anymore. You right. know what some I'm saying? Some people like had a real experience and some people were just like, it was a weekend. Yeah. I loved yeah, it. I loved that. That was great. <laughs> fun. Good Can't time. wait for Coachella. Um, Fire Island. I'm not. So, <laughs> see you there. So So there were different stages of this festival. Um, The first was the preparation stage, which began in Athens. That's just getting everything ready, obviously. And then there was the travel stage. So everyone who was taking part would travel from Athens to Eleusis, which was quite a hike. Apparently it would take like a couple days. And it was this really big, loud processional of possibly thousands of people led by priests and priestesses. Uh, and then once they got to Eleusis, the whole thing would kind of start. Now there were very secret rituals that would take place inside Demeter's temple, mm. which at one point was the largest indoor space in the ancient Greek world. Stop. It held about 3000 people <laughs> And it was so big that inside this temple was another smaller building where the mysteries were kept. So this is the inner temple. Mm -hmm. And we still, to this day, have no fucking idea what was going on in the inner temple. Because it was so tightly kept. 
Now we know that on the outer temple, there were some sacrifices. Uh, there was a big bull, no human sacrifices that we know of. Um, there was a big bull that was sacrificed. And then there was a pig washing ceremony. Mm. So every member of the cult would take a little piglet down to the ocean and they'd wash it. Nope. So some historians say that the ceremony was like, yeah, you'd wash the piglets and then run away. And like, you know, it'd be really funny because they're in the waves. And they're all the pigs, running. Right? Nobody kills the pigs. Uh, I mean, gonna, some historians kill, believe that kill they the killed the pigs. I hate this. Because it's okay. like, I think it's a really positive outlook to be like, yeah, no, they totally didn't kill the pigs. Mm-hmm. But in reality, it's like they probably killed the fucking pigs. Any menu that has like suckling pig on the menu, I just like, <laughs> I just like set it down and I'm like, Jake, like just yes. order for me. Yeah. And nothing that's suckling. <laughs> I can't. So, um, so that was part of it. Um, there's also some marching around at night so around this little town and around the temple they would send people out and they would just like literally like march around for like hours and hours in like pitch blackness and this is like pre-yell yeah and they would get really disoriented because it's obviously like it's pitch black Mm -hmm. and but this was all a part of it because they're reenacting demeter's wandering around looking for persephone so that's kind of like the point of it is like you're so exhausted and tired and you don't know where you are that you're feeling her pain yeah so that was all kind of prepping for the big night (laughs) so on the big night everyone would gather inside the big temple So imagine this, you're in this big temple, there are drums beating, there are people singing and chanting and dancing. I'm Khaleesi. You're Khaleesi. (laughs) There there is, some people have torches, some people don't, so the lighting is very intense. There are also a lot of smells going on. Obviously, there are like 3,000 people packed into this place with you, and animals are being sacrificed there's oil from the torches like there's a lot going on it is a full sensory experience and initiates people who were just joining the cult were blindfolded during this part hate it which sounds horrifying i've like stopped taking notes i'm so scared and at some point the priestess of demeter would exit that inner temple And reveal the revelation to the people. And she would summon Persephone at the height of this really intense experience. And then just like there's silence and the big gong is sounding while they're summoning Persephone for like a good harvest. At this point, people are scared. (laughs) They are excited. Things are kind of at a fever pitch. Some historians believe that they were taking some uh, hallucinogens. Um, Maybe they drank some kind of beverage that would make them trip out a bit. But frankly, the energy of the ceremony is so intense that many people are like, you'd be tripping without any fucking assistance in that room. If you've ever been to like a religious... Like acquire the fire. Yes. The energy is out the roof. Unbelievable. Like what you can be convinced to do is crazy. It really is. And so this was kind of the big night of the thing. And then after this, you know, they would make more sacrifices and then they would have a big spring festival that would look more like, you know, (laughs) 
a friendly family feast like the next day. So I imagine that it's kind of awkward after that, but then you're kind of like, <laughs> everything's like, normal. This is like pre Thanksgiving. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like drunk fest before Thanksgiving. <laughs> Got it. So as I said before, these things that we know are a very small part of the Aleutian mysteries because this group was very secretive. Uh, so secretive that we have, Two stories of people who were simply just accused of telling the mysteries. Like, we don't even know if they actually did. And wow. they were murdered. No! Yeah. And that's why, I mean, how do you keep secrets like that for a thousand years? Like, no one in this cult was fucking spilling. Because, like, we still don't know what was going on in that inner temple. And we also don't know what the priestess would say. Which is so fascinating. I just want to know. Did Dan so, Brown write this novel? Uh, <laughs> that's the third time the Da Vinci Code has come up for me today. Oh, no way. Weird. Yes, I swear to God. Someone in a podcast I was listening to, um, I said no gifts. They gifted Bridger the Da Vinci Code on audiobook, but like the CDs. It was like 14 CDs. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Chapter by chapter? Uh-huh. Because the chapters are one page so long. Short. <laughs> so makes you feel so smart you're like oh my god look how like quick. silas whipped himself chapter, chapter 17, 17. <laughs> robert langdon felt uncomfortable <laughs> in an elevator chapter, chapter 18 he hates elevators <laughs> sophie <laughs> was the only person doing fucking anything and this british man who is ian mckellen okay I'm highly done. recommend that book <laughs> so i could talk about the da vinci code Love it. All fucking day. Anybody write us in if you want to. If you want us to just tell the Da Vinci story (laughs) as a real fact of history for (laughs) April Fool's, let us know. (laughs) What if we just told it (laughs) chapter by chapter for three hours? That'd be so good. So the spring festival is obviously their biggest thing, but there were other rituals that took place throughout the year. And a cool part about the, you know, Ulyssian mysteries or the cult of Demeter and Persephone is that women were very high ranking in this cult and they often led the ceremonies. And this was a really cool arena for them to have power because Demetra is also a goddess of fertility. And so this was a chance for them to, or Demeter, not Demetra, Demeter. Um, So this was a chance for them to kind of take their fertility in their own hands and feel like they had some kind of power over it because a lot of women didn't. Um, And it also made them feel like they were doing something for the greater community. So if they led the ceremonies properly and it meant good harvest for everyone, not just them, like, you know, it's like, I'm doing this for me and for everyone. It's a very communal feeling, which is wonderful. Mm. And I think it's pretty fucking cool that one of the most important, secretive, intense cults of the Greek world and maybe of all time was based on a story of two women who loved each other so much that it affected the whole world. I love that. And that's it! It's amazing. It's like a mother-daughter story more than anything else. This is the real Gilmore Girls. I love it. (laughs) Perfect. Um, I can't even. I just, I was, I was expecting so much and got more. Like, (laughs) 
<laughs> from Persephone. Let me tell you, when John Solo said something about Elysian Mysteries, I was like, what the fuck is that? <laughs> he didn't go into it, so I had to go a hunting. You said, like, tell me more, tell, tell me more, like, like they, they have a couple. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Did he watch a pig? <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so now we're going to get into a little segment we like to call Just the Two of Us. Okay. Dying. <laughs> Dying. So, I mean, obviously the centerfold of this story, these stories men are abusing women. evil men <laughs> hurting innocent women. Women who have nothing to do with this situation. I mean, they're just different versions of the same story and their tales as old as time. Mm-hmm. Like, we have the story Say of... Say it again, but sing it. Yeah. <laughs> Tale as old as time. <laughs> raping women okay go ahead it's never okay <laughs> um so but if yeah. it's your dad or uncle or friend <laughs> all men are beasts okay no they're not um so hashtag not all men hashtag not all men but anyways but yeah we're talking about unfortunately bad shit happening to women is an everlasting story well and it's a familial story and then it's a story of like poverty and then it's a story of like your neighborhood and it's oh my god like so it doesn't matter whether you're wealthy whether you're the kid of a god whether you are in poverty it doesn't your your background doesn't matter it's just when it happens to you it's like kind of your fault it seems like in all of these situations it's like Persephone was out talking to the nymphs because she so badly wanted to see the spring. And her parents, they tried to protect they her. They tried to protect but her. But she wouldn't listen. It's, like, yeah. so annoying. It is. You know, I thought about, like, Whitechapel versus the underworld <sighs> and how it's like, well, who the fuck ate the pomegranate? Like, you ate the pomegranate. You went to so Whitechapel? Like, you went to Whitechapel. Like, you started drinking. Like, I But was... she was, like, the first one that was murdered. And it's like, yeah, Whitechapel's a shitty neighborhood, but, like, people weren't being cut up in the streets. Right, exactly. Like, that's the thing that also is impressionable, impressionable about the Jack the Ripper murders is, like, people are like, oh, people get murdered there all the time. And it's like, yeah, but these murders were so fucking extra and gruesome that we're still talking about them to this day. So, like, don't tell me that women were disemboweled every day. Right. Like, that's fucking different. It is different because more than one person gets killed a day in Baltimore mm-hmm. City. And we live in Baltimore City. Mm-hmm. So, like, we are not getting disemboweled in the streets. No. Like, it is a high crime, high poverty, high, you know, addiction area. And it's like, you don't expect to go out at night and die. Yeah. Well, and it's also, again, we're talking about high crime areas. So, like, if you're talking about white chum, like, people get murdered here all the time. It's like, okay, why aren't you fucking doing something about that then? The people that aren't the victims of, like, serial killers also matter. You know what I'm saying? It's mm. like, so, like you're saying, like, you know, people get murdered every day in Baltimore City. And it's like, but when it, but if, like, you know, fucking Richard Ramirez came into town, then it would be a big story. Well, this is the less dead. Yes. We're in poverty. We're in a city that is considered the less dead. And it's unfortunate because Polly Nichols and Persephone were out just doing their own thing. And what it seems like is, oh, they were assaulted and taken because they didn't have male permission to be there. Mm-hmm. Well, and also, let's be clear. We totally uh, villainize 
Polly, you know, and we're like, well, she shouldn't have been there. She shouldn't have been doing that. Persephone is a person who, like, I think the thing about their two stories is, like, similar things happen to them. And if we think of taking it to the underworld as dying, (laughs) they were both murdered while they were just trying to mind their own business. But we villainize Polly and we think Persephone is this like classic victim. She's the more dead. Persephone is the more dead. Mm -hmm. And Polly is the less dead because Persephone is always like, she was doing nothing wrong. And it's like, neither was Polly. So why do we always label her as this awful immoral person that couldn't even like do you know what i'm saying like she was too immoral to be in the peabody houses well i'll tell you why i persephone had a mother that was willing to fight for her yeah and i think sometimes like in that elizabeth cast story i told Mm -hmm. if you have somebody who's willing to run in and be like no this is wrong then you get people to pay attention and persephone had a mom who was like no pay attention yeah my attention to her stolen in the woods bring her back yep that's exactly it. That's exactly it. And it's terrifying. I also think it's interesting that both of our main characters are pretty silent throughout their story. Like mm. when I was researching this, I was like, this is not really the story of Persephone. It's the story of Demeter. Uh-huh. Like this, this is, is the story, story of Jack. That's the story of Demeter. Yeah. These are stories of people that are talking for the person who has been dealt the trauma Mm. and like these women are being silenced basically like i thought it was so interesting because like during john solo's video of the persephone story he kept kind of saying like and nobody fucking asked persephone how she thought about this (laughs) they're all making deals and they're doing this and they're doing that and like she doesn't really get to talk for herself and obviously polly doesn't either and it's it's interesting too because it seems as or at least the way I have seen Persephone like is that eventually she rose up and like took her place yeah. in, in at least some of the stories and I think that a lot of people put that on women. It's oh, like yeah. even if something bad happened to you, rise up and deal with it. Like even if you're not allowed to get divorced, Love your husband and kids. <laughs> right. Even if you're not allowed to X, Y, Z, just do what you're supposed to do. Stay quiet and do what you're supposed to do. Which and that's <laughs> uncomfortable and not okay. No, and it's funny because I think that Polly was trying to do that. She goes, yeah. I'm going to the workhouses. I am putting myself out there and, like, trying to, like, do what you want me to do as a poor person. And <laughs> like- even if she was, like, I'm an alcoholic. Therefore, I would rather this woman raise my children. Mm-hmm. That could have been her mindset. Yeah. Like, I'm not a fit mother. Yeah. She might have thought that I be- and just yeah. said, this woman is a great mother. Like, let's let her do it. Yeah. Well, and, and we all villainized her for it, but she may have been making a great decision to, for her health and for the health of her children. Yeah. She's like, they don't deserve this. Like, this is out of their control. I'm right. not going to put this on them. Like, yeah, I think that's such a valid point. And... It kind of speaks to the things that we'll never know. You know, I was thinking about that. Like, at the end of the story, we have two kind of big mysteries. You know, who is Jack the Ripper? Who really was Polly? We don't know those things. Mm. You know? We don't know. We don't know those last moments. That I think of what happened between Polly and Jack as kind of like the inner temple of Demeter. There's nothing that's going to bring that history back because, unfortunately, it was between a small group of people. Mm. 
and it's unfortunate, but it's also giving us an opportunity to look at history and maybe reassess our judgment of situations. Right. You know, it's kind of like the pig washing thing. Maybe they didn't sacrifice the pigs. You know, maybe they did. Who the fuck knows? We'll never actually know. And like, maybe Polly did engage in sex work, but maybe she didn't, you know, but it doesn't matter because we're still talking about people and real human lives that are affected by tragedy and how fucked up the world can be. Mm. And I just like, don't want to forget about that because yeah, there are things we'll never know. But it doesn't matter what you don't know. What you do know is that the other humans in this world fucking matter. Mm. It's not like a, quote, no human involved case, which is like, well, police Mm -hmm. officers say over their radio, no human involved. Yeah. And it's like, you know, when you think about this story probably came about in Greek culture because there was a famine. There were people suffering, and then they had to make sense of it somehow. Because they did have daughters that were stolen. Because they had daughters that were stolen. They saw their wives mourning. They morning. had <laughs> land that was untenable. Right. They were fucking suffering. And I mm. think that that's another thing that, that we often keep try and keep in mind here. That, like, a lot of our stories come out of human suffering. Right. You know? And it's important to keep in mind. All right. Amazing. <laughs> it's amazing. It's an amazing conversation to have between these two just like unattainable women. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, are you ready to toast? I am. Who would you like to toast? I would like to toast sex workers mm-hmm. around the world, both women who choose mercenary sex versus um women and men who choose mercenary sex and women and men who are engaging in survival sex like there is really an unfair weight of judgment put on your shoulders so much so that there are entire fields made to prove that people aren't what you are and i just want you to know it's okay to be what you are yeah and it's just so hard to say So I am going to toast women who bring spring. I think we all have that person in our lives who makes you feel like you've been brought back to life when you see them. And I think those people are absolutely magical and it feels amazing. And then it's important to know that like they're, they are a person, (laughs) you know, like, and they do fuck up sometimes and also having grace for those people in your life. Mm-hmm. Cause sometimes it can be like, Oh, like that person's going to make everything better. And if they don't, I feel like you get extra mad at them. So mm-hmm. this is just a cheers to the people who make you feel better and make you have more grace for yourself. So you should have more grace for them. Oh, <laughs> the cheers. All right, Allie, what are you enjoying in pop culture this week? I just really want to promo socks from five below. Oh, okay. Like I've never been to a five below. So the ankle socks from five below, like I take my kids there to like get little, like if we're like, we're going to go on a shopping spree, it's like spring break. I'll be like, okay, okay. you can go. We'll all pick out three things. Mm -hmm. It's like $15 at the most. Yeah. (laughs) The socks amazing really? to the point where it's like if producers like oh you're going to five below today can you like get me some socks <laughs> like i'm dead serious okay that's they're- good because 
fiance rolls through socks like nobody's business well the the socks at five below are so comfy like i wait to go there mm. and it's like a pack of like eight sets of sets of socks for like five dollars because everything's below five dollars um so anyway everybody go buy socks from five below they're absolutely worth it you there's some shitty shit there but there's also like some really good finds and socks are one of them perfect so don't expect, they're not Hanes. Don't expect them to last forever. <laughs> but, MJ's not on the label. So just, but just so enthusiasm. you know, just so you know, they're just five uh, below socks and they are worth it. They're comfy. They're clean. They're cotton. That's perfect. <laughs> that should be their tagline. Comfy, comfy clean, clean, and cotton. cotton. <laughs> Go ahead. Okay. I'm going to recommend a show okay, what that show? I'm obsessed with. And I'm so sad that it doesn't have that many episodes yet. <gasps> it's Abbott Elementary. Have you heard of this show? I haven't. Allie, it is so perfect. It is kind of like a mockumentary like style show. Like it's kind of like Modern Family in the mm. office and whatever. But it takes place in an underfunded Philadelphia public elementary school. Perfect. And the girl who created it, uh, Quinta Brunson, she stars in it. So she's this showrunner head writer stars in the fucking show and she is the girl i don't know if you remember this video from like a couple years ago that went viral but she made this video and she's like a really small woman and she's like standing next to this big tall guy and they're at the movies and he's like i'm gonna have some popcorn and she's like oh and he's like and some like snow caps and she's like oh and he's like and a coke and she's like he's got money like <laughs> I, don't I don't know if you've ever that. seen that That's it's so, so good but it's that girl and now uh. she is running her own fucking show and she's so funny every character is so good and well cast and well written and it's doing like a really wonderful service to teachers i think mm, good because one of the episodes is about them like making tiktok videos and they're like trying to get like supplies they're, like oh if you just make a tiktok video like people will send you the things on your like teacher wish list you mm -hmm. know because a lot of teachers have to supply their own shit or, or beg or beg, or beg. like panhandlers on the yeah. street and so like you know the main character is like this really young hopeful teacher and she's kind of like with this older wiser teacher and she makes a tiktok video for the older teacher and at the end of the episode like you know sorry to spoil it but like the older teacher is like look it's really nice that you sent in these like fucking white people with their like school supplies for me but she was like i make do with what i have because i don't want my fucking students to think that they don't have shit mm. and i was like oh yeah like if you are suddenly like begging for the shit that they don't have like they like it's in their head now they're like oh like we are underfunded you know mm -hmm. and like she's always trying to kind of like protect the kids from where they are you know but then you also do need the hopeful teachers like i don't know it's just so good and it's, fun. it's so funny and the principal is hysterical I love she's that. so awful and <laughs> aren't I they just, all <laughs> i just love it and i think that everyone should watch it and it, it's only eight episodes now the ninth one is premiering later this month and then i'm really hoping they get picked up for a second season um but yeah it's so good one of the best new shows i've seen in a very long time that's great so i buy all my supplies all of it yeah 
but because I can. And then I just yeah. pretend it's from the school. Like, I don't <laughs> care. I don't care. Like, whatever. Like, it makes the day easier if they yeah. have shit to do. Yeah. <laughs> Who cares? But yeah, but that's the whole thing is, like, I don't think that some people know that. That, yeah. like, teachers, they're they not. They buy all their own supplies. They're not given those ABC posters. No. Like, they have to fucking pay for it. We're not it. even given fucking rulers and yeah, tape. exactly. <laughs> like, we buy rulers and tape. It's exactly. Upsetting. So, it's a wonderful show. And one of the main characters is from Baltimore. Woo, so, woo, woo. and it's the guy who played young Chris and everybody hates Chris. <laughs> Perfect. It's great. So anyways, I went on way too long for that show, but That's it's great. So good. Take it. Um, I love it. So find us everywhere. All the places. If you Every want to hang media. out with us. Except TikTok. We fuck TikTok. Yeah, we're not on that. Uh, but <laughs> we could be. Producer keeps telling me to, but like, uh, where is the time gone? But where is the time? And who's got the energy? And uh, I have to put on makeup for that. All the yeah. other social media is like just like backdrop shit. Exactly. I'll so, figure it out one day. I don't know. We'll see. But follow us everywhere. Uh, if you could rate and review us in mm. Apple Podcasts, that would mean the absolute world to us. That's the best way to show that you love the show. Thanks and so if much. you're feeling extra like you like us, follow us on patreon you can join for as little as a dollar a month Mm -hmm. that way we can keep buying all these expensive cocktail ingredients like lemon curd and (laughs) making you drink it and making you drink it so we love you and we want you to never forget that well-behaved women drink lukewarm coffee oh yes they do god bless them and they rarely make history (laughs) goodbye listening to her story on the rocks we are independently produced by 1986 entertainment and proudly recorded in baltimore maryland if there's a woman in history you would like us to cover you can email us at herstoryontherocks at gmail.com you can also message us on twitter or instagram we post all of our cocktail recipes on tuesdays so that you can go get all the supplies you need and drink along with us see you next week bye